We never heard from him again. No letter, no call, no contact. That's very possible that that played a leading role in what happened. I can certainly understand his resentment for me not being there and that sort of thing. It's an incredible story. I guess I kept wondering why everybody didn't address the elephant in the room. From WCRF and Moody Podcasting Network, I'm Brian Dolan, and this is The Grandfather Effect, live. It is indeed. Welcome to the Grandfather Effect Live. It's so wonderful to have you here. I'm Cisco Cotto. We are in Tory Gray Auditorium at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. A really exciting opportunity to find out more about this fantastic podcast. I want to tell you very briefly about me. Again, my name is Cisco Cotto. I am a radio host here in Chicago on WBBM News Radio. I'm a pastor in the western suburbs of Chicago at Village Bible Church. I'm a proud Moody Theological Seminary grad. That's right. And I am also a longtime friend of Brian Dollins. We met more than 10 years ago at Moody Radio, quickly developed a great friendship, and, and this guy's like a brother to me. So it was wonderful for me to be able to listen to this podcast and hear the story of how everything played out and worked out. And it's been really wonderful to see the impact that this podcast has had uh, all over the country and beyond. Now, for those of you who don't already know Brian, I want to tell you just a little bit about him before we introduce him. In the podcast, the family story that unfolds is dramatic. Each episode just grabbing you and, and really bringing it into your heart, into your life. You, you can feel this as you're listening to The Grandfather Effect. Brian is the creator and host of The Grandfather Effect. He's also the host of Mornings with Brian on WCRF Moody Radio Cleveland Please help me welcome Brian Dolan. <laughs> Brian, I want to begin by uh, just asking you, when you were putting this together, when you were dealing with all of the writing and the interviews and all of the production, was there ever a moment when you said, you know, th this thing's going to take off, and people all over the place are going to be impacted by this story. There's no way you could have imagined what kind of a reach this was going to have. Not at all. In fact, I intended it originally to be just a demo for Moody Radio as I was interested in introducing storytelling podcasting to a Christian audience in a new way from what I loved as a listener. Uh, and so I thought I would just turn in a couple of episodes and say, there, you could do that. I never intended it to become a completed project with so much personal information told to the entire world, but it ended up being that way. It really was a, a journey in your family life for people who maybe have not listened to all the episodes yet. I'm sure they will, but the people who haven't heard it all yet, give us sort of a thumbnail sketch of the journey. What went on in the family? What sort of mysteries did you unveil? Help us to understand this. So in my love for storytelling, I thought the easiest and laziest thing to do would be tell a story from my own life. So I, uh, I could think of maybe one thing that was a mystery unresolved in my family story, and it was that my grandfather on my dad's side uh, had disowned my family, and all I really knew was it was over a couple of missed birthday cards. And that didn't seem to make sense to me. 
and the explanations I had received from my family didn't make all that much sense. So I was like, hey, you know, maybe I'll just try to figure out what happened. You know, yada, 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 podcast. At the end of the day, and so my, my journey trying to figure out what happened, even though he passed away in 1992, uh, it, it was, is what's cataloged uh, throughout the story. There are twists and turns, obviously. I think that's one of the things that's so compelling and makes it so real. Uh, talk about the fact that near, near the end, we, we find out that it may not have just been that your grandfather was angry or, or you know, somehow felt slighted, but that there may have been some sort of illness going on there that led to all of this. Yeah, I, it was horrible to find out. I knew my grandfather had Alzheimer's disease that ultimately led uh, to his passing, but my family, my portion of the family, had no idea how long he had suffered from the disease. We thought it was pretty sudden in its onset. And in my research, I found out that he actually had had symptoms of dementia for many years before we knew, before my parents had any idea. And it was just, at the time, a seemingly simple breakdown in communication and lack of communication between my dad and his brother that created a situation where we didn't know and never knew until I started asking questions. Because my family system was one where people just didn't ask hard questions. A lot of silence. A lot of silence. A lot of pleasantries. We all got along just fine in my immediate family. Uh, and we were pleasant with extended family we didn't know well, but nobody dealt with serious issues. That was the Minnesota nice, right? That's where you're Very from? Very much so, yeah. yes. The Scandinavian Minnesota nice. <laughs> How you doing, don't you know? Yeah, you're sure, you betcha. As I was listening to the podcast and, and get to that point where there's this Alzheimer's issue, uh, it, it was gut-wrenching for me as a listener thinking, man, this all could have been avoided. Yeah. That had to happen to you, too. You had to, as, as you're doing the interviews and finding this out, that had to hit you, too. Yeah, in fact, I created the series kind of one episode at a time. So uh, I was finding these things out and then creating an episode and then continuing the journey. I interviewed my uncle and my cousins when I found this out in, like, a, a February. Uh, but I, f I struggled with how do I tell my parents because my parents didn't know a number of things my uncle revealed, shock to my shock and surprise revealed in a conversation. So at the end, I decided I would wait till I finished producing the full conversation, in fairness to my uncle, to not just give a secondhand account of it. So I sat on it for like six months without my parents knowing what had happened. That was pretty difficult. Uh, but, uh, and it was devastating for them as well to find out. Talk about that, because your, your parents, uh, I'm very impressed that they agreed to be interviewed. They allowed the podcast to go out. I mean, they yeah. could have very easily said, on, th on second thought, we don't, want we don't want this on the web for yes. anyone to hear. What was, let's begin with, what, what was it like to get them to agree to be interviewed in the first place? That was super easy because in the, I mean, back in like 2016, I asked for permission by email, just... And, I talked to my parents, don't worry. I talked to them as well, but you I wanted talk to... talk to them via email. That's <laughs> how know, this works. Dear mom. <laughs> no, no, so I painted the whole picture and then we discussed it together. I didn't want to be face-to-face -face with such a big ask. I want to allow them to process it. Um, and none of us thought anything would really come of it. So my first interview with them was alone on like a Saturday evening at a radio station in Cleveland at WCRF. We, I talked to them for like two hours and recorded it. And it was years before any of it was published. So none of, I, I think they thought, oh, this is cute, Brian. It's your hobby. Yeah, and you're, you ask lots of questions. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So then you, you get them to 
to really talk about some things that are painful. You can tell as you're listening to the podcast, your parents are not used to talking about these kind of things. Correct. And yet you were able to get this out of them and, and really help the family along. Yeah, it's one of the odd things, as you know, Cisco, about being in radio is like there's almost permission when you're doing radio to ask questions, right? It's just this exchange that's taking place. So we were, you know, in an awkward sense, in a radio studio, sitting across from my parents, and it just felt okay to ask all these questions. And they knew that since it's recorded, they ought to answer, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so uh, they, they gave what I thought were the honest answers to the best of their ability. And then I had to kind of piece together what happened on my own because they really didn't know either. Talk about the emotions. I want to talk about your parents again, but talk about your emotions as you are going in. Yes, you're a radio guy. You ask questions every day on WCRF. You know, this is sort of your job. And yet you're asking questions of people you dearly love about family issues. This is your background. I mean, this is your foundation. How are you asking those questions? And I'm waiting for you to just break down in tears at some of yeah. these moments. Well, it, it took me years to figure out what had taken place, number one. Um, number two, I was convinced for the first few episodes that what I would discover is my grandpa was just a big jerk, and I could dismiss the whole thing. Like, ah, what a jerk, you know? Who cares about that guy? When it became much more complex, it almost compelled me to dig deeply into my own issues and my own family system and what I want for my children as I realized that I thought we were, as a family, not experiencing any sort of dysfunction, because everything's fine. But the more I learned from Nancy, uh, who's gonna be on in a few minutes, the more I realized I had some work to do. So that, along with a series of family struggles and tragedies, caused me, I went into counseling for over a year uh, after this was created. My wife and I have done a marriage intensive with Nancy and her husband, Ray, uh, which I highly recommend if anyone wants to do it. It was transformative. Uh, we have, are still in marriage counseling together now as we try to figure out what healthy is in a family. Um, and so the emotion doesn't come out from me in the series because I did so much processing, you know, off a microphone. What about with your folks? Because they're, they're talking about their background. They're talking about some painful stuff. Did you get a sense that they're, they're talking about this and then going, wait, wait, this is kind of messed up. You know? uh, the, the first interview, no. Like, they just thought he didn't send a birthday card. We wrote him a letter to tell him he needs to send everyone a birthday card, and then he disowned us. This is ridiculous. But my dad and his dad were never close, so they just thought he wrote him off and didn't think about it. But towards the end, one of the final episodes is, in fact, the final episode, is me in interviewing my parents after I let them hear everything. And they were both devastated. Uh, my mom cries in the final episode. You have to know my father. I'd only seen him cry like twice before this, but as we recorded the interview, there was a portion where he says he made a lot of mistakes, and he was crying in the studio. Uh, they carry deep regret over what took place. Um, I, I admire their courage in allowing the story to be told because there's many aspects of it that are embarrassing. And uh, my mom was sweetly like, whatever helps you, Brian. I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> Um, but I think my dad was rightfully concerned um, for them and how they would look when it was out. But And there's been, you see comments online, you, you get people that send you notes. There are people who have been very harsh with your mom, mm -hmm. right? Because, well, a missed birthday card and this blows up the whole family and you never talk again. And, and, and yet, 
I thought back to my family. I'm sure people here in the studio audience, people who listen to the podcast, th this kind of stuff happens all over the place. Yeah. And so it's not as though your mom is unique in having one little thing end up causing problems. It, it, you know, they, they really last for years. Yeah, I, it's easy to sit and judge my parents for the decisions they made, I think, uh, because they should have done a lot differently. And my dad says that in the final episode. He did a lot of things wrong, and he would have done a lot of things differently. But I think honest self-examination, we all carry a lot of brokenness in our families, and we've all made some serious mistakes that on the surface don't seem that bad. Situations can be interpreted in so many different ways. And I think my dad and his brother in this series are a perfect illustration of how if you don't communicate to each other about hurt feelings ever, no one can know that you're hurt. And it can destroy family connectivity for and generations. You, you keep moving on, and I, I noticed this as I was listening to their interviews, you, know, you, you have men who just keep moving on as though everything is okay, this is totally normal, uh, we haven't talked in years, but it's no big deal. And, and as you're listening to it, your, your, your soul is sort of screaming out, you know, th th this isn't right, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And yet, throughout all of those years, they don't seem to have thought, you know, th this, is, this is wrong, we need to figure this out. Yeah, and I, I agree. Uh, some of the tragedy that's not shared in the series is my dad told me privately, which I mean, he wouldn't mind me sharing here, don't worry, this is not, <laughs> he won't disown me now, uh, that... His father never once told him he loved him. He has no memory of him ever hugging him. Uh, my dad played baseball. His dad never went to a game. So from that perspective, my father uh, was leaps and bounds a better dad than his father. But no wonder a man's sons have trouble communicating their emotions to people when the man himself can't even tell his sons he loves them, can't embrace them. Uh, it's no wonder that took place, right? I mean, I, I can develop much more empathy now. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to grow up in that kind of home. And that's where you, you've already talked about counseling for yourself, counseling yeah. with your wife. That's where you get to say, enough. I, yeah. I'm not, listen, we're all sinners. We all make our mistakes. We all have our baggage. We're, we're all imperfect. And yet, I'm going to do whatever I can in the Lord's power to put an end to this so that my kids, again, not a perfect dad. Brian is not a perfect dad. I have two kids here today. My daughters, Grace and Sophia, are here. No, you didn't hear them say amen when I no, said that? No, they didn't, in fact. They, they did, right? Excuse they, me. They shouted amen right there. <laughs> you know, we, we mess things up too, and yet I appreciate and respect the, the courage that it takes to say enough is enough. We're, we're going to fix yeah. this as best that we can, and then to go through with long-term counseling what has that been like for you? What has that been like for your family? It's probably still stuff to come, but what, what has that been like? Well, it's become a major part of my ministry life. I host a morning show in Cleveland, as you mentioned, and uh, one of my primary callings, I think, from the Lord is to advocate that followers of Jesus participate in counseling. Um, prayer is good. Bible reading is good. But for many of us, it's just not enough. We're designed to be in community with other people, and oftentimes we need people with professional experience to work through some of those issues. Uh, and I made it a big part of my ministry life. And I've tried to, you know, my wife and I are doing our best imperfectly to change our own family system, is trying as best we can to be open with our kids when we make mistakes. Uh, I'm glad my daughters are here today so they can see another demonstration of that where I, I, 
I know that they could easily make season two of The Grandfather effect about me. Oh, they already have. It's right. It's, it's in, fact, it's in production. Yeah, it's right. in production. Uh, but it's it's true. If we're all honest with ourselves, there's a lot of things that we're ashamed of. We've hurt people and didn't mean to. We've hurt people and meant to. And it's just by the grace of God, no one knows about it. And um, it's that humbling reality that I was like, wait a minute, my kids could do this to me. That it's I, I hope motivating me to do better and Lord willing the church to do better in advocating that people try the best they can to have healthy interpersonal relationships. Any updates with your parents or with other relatives? Any, any changes at all? Any further processing of this? Because it's been a while now. They, they went through the interviews. It's been produced. It's, it's out there. Any, any changes? Yeah, I've been asked that question more than anything else as a follow-up. Um, especially because I made an epilogue that is essentially like, I wish I had a better ending for you, and I tried to make one. Where I, if you, if you haven't heard it yet, it's the, I organized personally a, uh, a family reunion of sorts. I got all the people who were in this podcast together in the same room in a casual environment for the first time since my dad was probably a little boy. And I kind of hoped somebody would go, hey, Brian, remember we recorded that interview about your, our family issues? How's that going? It wasn't out yet, right? The and series? no one wanted to talk about it or what? No one brought it up. <laughs> Minnesota nice. Yeah. And I mean, I, I say in, this, in the epilogue as well, I didn't bring anything up either. Uh, but what I can tell you is what has changed is really nothing. Um, I, uh, I texted my cousins to let them know that the series was going to be released and what date the episode they're on was going to be out. Uh, and I didn't hear back, although they posted on social media that, you know, they liked the... Uh, we're old, so we're on Facebook, and you know they like things. And com one of my cousins liked one of the episodes. I guess she was like, "Oh, this is great! Thanks for doing that." Um, but haven't heard much or anything from any of them. I don't. I'm not aware that my dad and his brother have discussed these issues at all. They've talked because my uncle's kind of struggled with his health in the last couple of years. They're both getting a little bit older, but I don't have any updates. And I've also thought to myself. This is what I, I would want more, but they don't. And I have to be okay with that. It doesn't make my desire right because I want more intimacy in our relationship. They may not be interested. I mean, I've lost nothing because what we have now is exactly what we have before I created the podcast. Virtually no contact. Uh, but, yeah, again, I wish I could give you a great answer, but there's, Nothing's changed. And so much of it is difficult because your grandfather's gone. Yeah. So you, you can't go, hey, hey, Grandpa, oh, now we understand. Let, let, let's fix this. And I'm sure that puts your parents and other family members in a difficult spot, too. They, they can't go back and fix that. They can't go back and fix it. And at some point, you know, my, my dad's in his 70s. My uncle's approaching 80. You have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth the pain? You talk about the fact that there's not a happy ending here. Mm -hmm. You didn't, and that's most most Christian storytelling, right? There's there's always at the end, everybody's yeah. celebrating, everything's wonderful, but that's not real life. And I, I want to welcome Nancy Kane. You heard her on the podcast. She's the. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about her here. Nancy, go ahead and come on up to the stage. Welcome, Nancy Kane, please.
Nancy is the program director of the Caritas Center for Christian Formation. She's a licensed clinical professional counselor, a retired Moody Bible Institute professor, author, speaker, co-host of the Leaving Church podcast. She was the featured guest in Act 4 of The Grandfather Effect. Uh, what you did, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, you basically gave Nancy some audio uh, of some of the f interviews that you had done and then asked her to provide feedback as an expert on, hey, what, what are you seeing here? What, what are you hearing yeah. here? Is that how this went? Yeah, it was a big ask because, I mean, we've been friends for years uh, before this, but uh, it was hours of audio. I was like, hey, could you listen to hours of audio and then psychoanalyze my family and record and it. no copay either. No copay. Yeah, and by the way, it's pro bono. Yeah. <laughs> just for a good time. Yeah, just, just, yeah. yeah just for your time. I'm sure right? you'll enjoy it. <laughs> so, Nancy, one of the things that Brian and I touched on here, and I'd like you, you to go deeper on this because it's controversial. We don't like it. And yet we just have to acknowledge from our own stories here, there's not always a happy ending. There's not always a resolution. And... God doesn't promise us that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He doesn't promise us that, but he does promise his redemptive presence in our lives, and that's the difference. I think sometimes we look externally and say, if something happens well, God's working. If something doesn't happen well, God's not working. It's not so simple. And I think you're right. I think um, much of life, if we're honest with our ourselves, is not easily resolved. There's a lot of questions that we face that we don't have easy answers to. But I think it leads us then to the larger question of where is God in the midst of this? And I think that's what, what Brian was asking well is, where do I find redemption here? And just because we want the situation to be fixed or better or, or healed, it doesn't mean the other people involved in the situation, that's Brian's situation here, doesn't mean that the other people actually want things to change. Exactly. And I think we can pray for redemption, but, but God never overrides our, our will, our choices. And so what you see in, in Brian's larger family system was there was people that were saying, no, we're not, we're not interested in going there. We're, we're fine the way we are. Talk about disengagement, Nancy, because that's what we hear in the podcast. That, that's certainly what was going on. There's this issue with a birthday card, and ju they, just, they just don't talk anymore, which mm -hmm. seems striking, and yet this goes on in families all the time. Talk about disengagement. Do we have an understanding of what goes on there, or is it just too complex? Well, there, in family systems theory, which is really what um, Brian was unpacking, there's a term of disengagement, which means that everybody comes together, but no one really wants to make any real connection. So everybody shows up in the room, everybody's present, but there's not really any connection that's going on. And if there's a movement towards something that might be vulnerably um, risking in disengaged families, it's like, no, no, we're not going to go there. It's so these risky. families get together and they talk about football or they, they, they talk about other things, but they don't talk about their lives. They don't talk about what, what's really going on. They talk about the football game. They talk about how good the pizza is. They talk about <laughs> all kinds of things, but what's really happening between each other. How can families move through that if, say, for example, someone like Brian is in a situation like this and he says, I don't just want to talk about sports. I don't just want to talk about how good the meal is. There are problems here. There's an elephant in the room, and I want, I want us to try to fix this. Well, Ryan was doing that, and I think that took a lot of courage to do what he was doing because he was basically breaking the system and saying, I think there's a better way, and I think that we can talk about things that really matter. What he came up against was a system that said, we're only going to talk about it for so long and to only while you're doing your 
podcast, and then we're going to go back to the way we were. Um, but it takes courage, and I think if there's one person in the family to invite people to change, I think that's what's crucial, is um, saying there's a different way. And isn't that what Jesus does with all of our lives? Is he, he enters into our lives and says there's a different way. There's a better way. But we have to be open to it, and that's really the key. How do we know if reconciliation is possible when we really want it, we want healing, the other people are a little resistant. Is there a point where you have to say, it's just not going to happen, I have to give up and deal with the fact that that sort of healing is not going to take place? Well, I think that's the difference for us as believers, is I think we never give up the hope because God is always working. But I think that there's a point where we invite people to change, we invite people to a new way of relating, knowing that they can say no, but that doesn't mean that we love them less. Um, we can, we, it, it's actually an opportunity for us to love them unconditionally. And in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of the lack of response, we're being invited into what does love really look like. And does that get to the, the difference in forgiveness and reconciliation as well? Because mm-hmm. y- you can still forgive even if the relationship isn't back together. Exactly. And I think we sometimes confuse the two. Yeah, so help us to understand that forgiveness is it's something we do in God's power with mm-hmm. His help. Mm-hmm. Reconciliation is something God does, but He's got to work that out in everybody's heart. Right, right? exactly. In forgiveness, we're, we're saying, I'm no longer going to hold this against you. And in forgiveness, and we touched on it, I think, a little bit in the podcast, is that forgiveness is learning the way of mercy, of saying, I'm beginning to see that what you did to me or how you hurt me, I'm capable of the same thing. And so I'm going to extend forgiveness to you because... I know what I've been forgiven from, and um, I will offer that gift to you as well. Remember Jerry Bridges and lots of other people too, but Jerry Bridges used to always say we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, Mm -hmm. and one of the benefits of that is we do have a sense of our own sinfulness, our brokenness, God's grace in our lives, which is really important if we ever want to at all move forward in these situations. Absolutely, absolutely. I think sometimes we can lose our way and, and forget that, and think we're doing better than what we are, but I think it's that constant recognition of our own brokenness that we can then offer the love to other people. Brian, as you, uh, not you, you sent Nancy hours and hours of audio, <laughs> and she faithfully listened to it. Yeah, I can't believe she did it. She, 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 she's wonderful. Isn't that and, nice? And it was very nice and very helpful, and it's helped, as I said at the beginning of this, <laughs> countless people, because they got to listen to this and say, I was in the same situation. And what was it, uh, is Nancy in, uh, in episode four, is Nancy's detailing some of her thoughts, is there anything that stands out to you as particularly uh, impactful, something that may have changed the way you looked at things or maybe gave you more empathy or what, what, what really stuck out there? Well, both in that conversation and then subsequently years of, of Nancy supporting me and being a good friend, uh, I've learned a lot. But what I, in, in the particular interview, what I would tell you is her comment about how silence is a form of violence. I forget mm-hmm. the exact quote, but mm-hmm. it, I never thought of silence that way. It felt violent to me. Like, how could a guy live 15 miles away from his two grandsons and never even ask about him? That, I, I couldn't put a word to what that felt like, and that really helped me, I thought, to realize that silence can be so violent. Well, I think we often keep a very low view of love. I mean, like you're talking about Minnesota Nice. I think that as long as we see that there's no conflict, we think everything's fine. We th- actually think that we're being loving when, in fact, behind that niceness is, could be a lot of judgment, 
could be a lot of hypocrisy, but as long as we're behaving nice, we think we are nice, when in fact, that's 1 Corinthians 13, that's not the way of love. And that silence can also be a form of, of control and punishment, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm the one who's in charge here, mm -hmm. which can even, as you say, use the term violence. It, that's mm -hmm. how it can actually be received by people. You know, you know the rule of thumb in a um, business meeting, the most silent person is the most powerful person because everybody else in the room is kind of sizing up what's going on, and they're giving that person so much power. In just a few moments, we're going to get to some questions here. And studio audience, if you'd like to ask a question to be on the podcast, now would be the time that you can start walking up to these microphones in the aisles, and we'll get to those in just a matter of moments. Uh, I want to ask just a general question, though. If someone is dealing with something similar to what Brian was dealing with, this, this disengagement where one family member for one reason or another just says, I, I'm, yeah, I'm out, what should they do? How should they handle it? What should some of the first steps be? Well, I think, one, to, to pray for discernment. You know, what's my motivation? What do I really want here? Um, do I want the relationship or do I want peace? And I think then, secondly, <clears throat> to invite, if through that then there's a sense of, I really do want a relationship with this person, I think to extend that motivation of this is where I'm coming from. You know, I'm curious. I want to know what, how you see yourself in the family. I'm wondering what your silence means. I'm wondering what um, you think about when you're, we're all together and you're not saying anything. Help me understand. And I think it, when it's approached from a safe way, an engaging way, and a way of, of interest, I think that it provides a place for someone to say, maybe I can walk through that door. And yeah, the safety is interesting to me because he, Brian, in these situations, as he's doing these interviews, Brian could have just gone in and said, what were you people doing? Like, why, why, what, what do you mean you just didn't talk for a year? I mean, he, he could have gone off like that, and yet if he does, then there's no safety, right. and you don't get anywhere, right? And everybody shuts up. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, you got to be very careful with that. Well, and you know, Cisco, if I can jump in too, which I am anyway, whether you let me. <laughs> <laughs> I would say one of my big takeaways that, I, that is so important if someone wants to reconcile is you've got to come face-to-face -face with your own self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. There was a measure, a significant measure at which I didn't realize how much of a mess I was. You know, I was living the Christian life, going to church, reading my Bible. I'm on Christian radio, Cisco. That's like really Christian. Super holy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this process, the Lord used this in some other situations in life to break me, to help me see that I am equally a contributor of pain in my relationships as those who have hurt me. And Nancy can correct me, but if you don't go in with that realization, I mean, is there any hope of reconciliation, would you say? No, because I think people will smell the hypocrisy. You know, they'll smell the judgment. And why go there? You know, if I'm going to be judged and criticized for what I'm doing, I'm not interested in a relationship. Now, if you're not coming from a place of brokenness, then why should they? Brokenness yeah. and love. Yeah. 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 yeah acknowledging you're a sinner, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, folks in the studio audience, any questions, come up to the microphones now. Do not be shy. Yeah, so it's super common in families to have that, like, kind of Minnesota nice list of things you don't talk about. Um, and I think my question is, in your particular situation where there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of just, where there's some spaces where reconciliation can't happen because your grandfather had already passed, um, how did you decide that it was best to go forward with this and bring these things into the light and talk about them, even though it would be painful and even though it would be 
really difficult. I wish I could tell you I had that much intentionality. Again, I was fully expecting when I met with my uncle and my cousins and my brother for breakfast that we would all just learn about how mean my grandfather was. And so uh, I was surprised by what I found. Uh, so I'm not sure if that answers your, your question or not, but I, I would say I'm not as courageous as I seem because I, I stumbled into truths that I didn't know were there. Uh, and that's, is that advice? That was terrible advice. <laughs> no, you're good. I, that's extremely real, so thank you. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, and one of the things you said earlier, Brian, which I think is helpful, is you didn't have this entire production all mapped out, what each episode was going to be like, how right. many episodes, what you were going to ask. It was one episode at a time, a new nugget that you're learning from an interview with a family member. And so we get the finished product. We get all of the episodes all together. But for you personally, each episode was a genuine journey where you're learning new things about what's going on. And that was an intentional method for me because I have a personal issue with, you mentioned earlier, Christian storytelling. We, we like a fairy tale story arc where everyone lives happily ever after, but that's thoroughly unbiblical. It's bad theology. Our movies do this. A lot of, some of our radio dramas do this. And I heard of a lot of popular podcasts that model this idea of the storyteller doesn't know the end of the story they invite you along with them on a journey of discovery. And so I was simply trying to model that type of storytelling, ignorant that I might encounter pain. So yeah, I would do one episode at a time, you know, do, do some interviews, do some analysis, record. Uh, and then I had the, a wonderful team at Moody, by the way, our executive producer and some other team helped actually make it make sense uh, and reordered some things, uh, but yeah, it, I, I wanted that storytelling to be authentic and not manufacture something that would make people feel better. I wanted to be honest. You wanted to be, yeah, and that's real life. That's what we deal with, right? Not yeah. the manufactured, in the end, everyone wins. I just, yeah, I, I want my faith in Christ to help me live through the struggles of life. And I can't do that if everyone pretends everything's fine around me. And that's what we do in church. How are you? Blessed and highly favored, Brian. Better than I deserve, you know, and I, I don't have any time for that. I, I want authenticity because I want to learn from my mistakes and people and other people's and brokenness to figure out what Christ really wants us to do. Yeah, and how he helps you through that. Yeah. yeah for sure. Okay, next question. I just wanted to say that I relate to a lot of your story. Um, my grandfather had Alzheimer's for the entire time that I knew him, but I didn't realize that he was sick until after he had passed. Um, because I was just 12 when he died, yeah. and um, my whole life I was angry at him because I always thought, like, why doesn't he, why isn't he gentle? Why doesn't he love me or care for me? And then also on my dad's side of the family, my um, nana struggles with a lot of health issues, and they don't communicate with us very often. Um, so my question for you is how long did it take after realizing that your grandfather had been um, sick with Alzheimer's, how long did it take for some of that bitterness to heal um, so that you could see them as, as people and not as just like grandparents that had failed you or um, had hurt you? It took years. Uh, the, the production process was about six years. And there's elements of it I'm still dealing with. I, uh, there was a portion of the original introduction that was cut about my maternal grandfather, 
he was not, he personally rejected me. He was a very terrible, mean person uh, and ended up taking his own life. Uh, it was a horrible experience. I was 13 when my, my other grandfather died that's covered in this uh, particular series, so I can relate to what you're saying. It was a long journey, and it involved counseling as well. Uh, and I, I think the, the slow processing uh, is, is what was necessary for me to come to those types of situations with peace and love and understanding because God was gentle with me because a lot of it was issues on my end I had to deal with. And I think that's something Nancy has taught me as well over the years, that God will only give you, I forget what you've told me, God will only give you what you're ready to handle. Not, he's will never give you what you can't handle. Well, I think it's more of God will reveal truth to you as you're able to handle it. See, that's why you're the counselor. <laughs> I, I don't know what you, you just said, but we're going to edit that. It was that along the same yeah. lines. Can we take that part? Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think we can. <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> so um, it's not fast. And I think it often involves help from a third party. Because what you experienced, correct me if I'm wrong, counselor, I'll do it again, mess it up. But that was traumatic. Mm-hmm. And we need help processing trauma. Absolutely. And I think, that, again, God is in that process. And so when he knows you have the capacity to handle more truth, he will reveal that to you. He never will override that sense of capacity to be able to see it. So when things do come and you do see things, as Brian's journey was, was showing well, God's in that process. He's like, now you will have the grace to be able to process this through. Gave an opportunity for people in the audience to text us some questions, and I want to get to one of those here. Anyone in the audience wants to ask a question, by all means, please come up to the microphone. We'd love to hear from you before we wrap up here. Uh, one of the questions that was texted in gets to that silence is violence issue, Nancy, and they say, what is the difference between harmful, selfish, emotional withdrawal and healthy boundary setting? How do you, sometimes sort of detaching yourself from a situation may be healthy, right? Or, or what's the difference here? I think that the difference is the motivation. I think that to be aware enough to say, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it because I want to punish the person? Uh, do I do it because I want to have the last power stance in the relationship? Or am I doing it because out of love I'm, I'm inviting them to something that's healthier as well as myself? And so motivation's everything there. Brian, we have a, another question here that was texted in uh, specifically about your relationship with God and your view of God. Mm -hmm. How did that change as you were walking through this journey? I've learned what it's like to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, I, I would say prior to this, it was a lot of intellectual exchange. And I found that's kind of the dominant force in the church today is a lot of knowledge Give me knowledge, I'm going to gain knowledge, and knowledge equals intimacy. And that is not how it works. That, along with help from Nancy and Ray in the, at the Caritas Center, I've gone through their spiritual formation program. I'm, I'm in the midst of it, actually. And that's part of what they help you figure out, is it's not wrong or weird to have an emotional connection with Jesus. And it requires more than knowledge. It requires humility. It requires self-examination. Um, dealing with your, your personal dysfunctions. Because, of course, our view of God and our view of Christ is influenced dramatically by our family system. I've seen that in my own life, and I've seen it in people around me. 
Would you agree with? I would agree with that, as well as I think um, Brian and I have just started a, um, a, a podcast um, titled Leaving Church. And the reason that we did that is because we feel like there's a lot of people that are church-oriented, behaviorally oriented, but have not ever discovered a love relationship with Christ, where um, the gospel is a love story. And somehow we go from salvation to living our life and lose that, that first love of who Christ is. And I think that there's a real need for the church to enter back into that first love that um, Christ talks about in Revelation. Another question that was texted in here, Brian, about the use of the Bible through this process and this process of healing and, and learning. Uh, yes, uh, prayer is obviously vital. Yes, counseling, getting third parties involved is vital. Uh, and yet there's that nourishing, transforming power of God's Word that, that is just huge in our lives. What was that like in this journey? Did, did you turn to Scripture specifically? Did you, uh, did, did you find it fresh at all as you're going through? Because sometimes new things sort of stand out in passages when we're going through different things in our lives. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have anything in particular I could say about a particular passage that jumped out or story, but my view of who Jesus is was continually growing in the process and his love for me in the, in the midst of my brokenness. Because this story behind, behind the whole thing is really me learning how much of a mess I am uh, and how broken I am and uh, how equally capable I am of the same issues that my family went through. And so I, I'm also not a person that necessarily thinks you have to be reading the Bible to have an, an encounter with Christ. A lot of my work with the Lord recently has just been quiet time with Christ. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are afraid of silence and allowing the Lord uh, to reciprocate the conversation. I'm not talking about some scary magical thing, voices from heaven. I'm just saying, can I be comfortable in silence with Jesus? What will he teach me? Uh, and Because, I mean, working in Christian radio like you do as well, I've been able to in interact with some of the top theologians and and Christian thinkers, I've heard a lot of the answers before, and that wasn't enough to create intimacy with Jesus. There's more. It takes time. Especially. It takes time, yeah. and it takes patience and silence, I think. Another question here from one of our audience members. Hello. My husband's three sisters do not talk to each other. There are family issues going back like 20 years, and I'm trying to maintain a relationship with each of them, and I'm receiving resentment from them. How can I continue in a loving way to deal with this? I think that's a really tough one. I think it's important that you communicate what you want from each of those relationships, as well as to set a boundary that it's not about favoritism, it's not about loyalties, it's not about um, who you're spending time with and who you're not. It's about um, your love for that particular sister and again, laying the groundwork for how you want the relationship to be and seeing how they respond to it. And I think when the resentment is communicating, being clear of processing that, but also saying, this is my motivation, this is what I want, and I won't be a party to um, what's going on between the three of you, but I invite you to engage in some type of um, reconciliation between the three of you. But I wouldn't step in the middle of that. <laughs> Nancy, one of our audience members texted in a specific situation with unbelieving family members where there is this estrangement and mm -hmm. this tension. 
How do we as Christians interact in those situations? And as a follow-up, this is another text here, as a follow-up, do do we have uh, maybe an extra emphasis, an extra need to be involved in those situations because they're unbelieving friends and family? Not necessarily. I think that our our mandate is to pray. Our mandate is to um, be people of love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. But in terms of actually doing something, I, I think that that has to be only prompted by the Lord. If you really feel like he's calling you into something. But be mindful, is it, is it your agenda or is it you want to fix something or you want to be the hero of the family? Or again, that motivation is critical. No, we want them to be saved, right? And I mean, I said, obviously yeah. we want them to be saved, but we can start feeling as though that's dependent upon us. We have to be involved with them in order for this to happen. Right. Which, yes, it's great. We want everyone to come to Christ. But if we're, the, if we're the Savior, then that's not really the way it's supposed to work. No, and God does not need another Savior. One is enough. I, th- I think that we, we can get into that as if somehow the salvation of our family is on our shoulders. It's just not. God is able to bring them into a relationship with them and keep inviting them in a way that we could have never imagined. So I think we have to let go of that savior messiah complex that somehow it's up to me. It's up for us to be faithful. And Brian, not all of your family members are believers. What what was that like as you were doing these interviews, hearing their stories, and maybe even in the aftermath too? You know, we didn't talk directly about faith throughout it. Uh, That's a good point, Cisco. I, I didn't make it a thing. I didn't feel like it was my responsibility to do that. The whole time I was trying to figure out how does my faith in Christ inform my, uh, my journey and my process of discovery and my questions. Uh, but no, we didn't, we didn't talk about faith. And I, honestly, I'm at peace with that. Like, I don't feel like it's, like if my cousins, for example, are not saved, I don't think it's my fault. Especially if they're not going to reciprocate a, a more deep relationship. God can find someone else to do that. Unless Nancy rebukes me, and then <laughs> it's a, you're it's on a, solid ground there. Okay, good, good check. It's a good <laughs> check, uh, Nancy. Earlier, we talked about these experiences where we are just at the surface level with our families. You, mm-hmm. you have these meals, and there's you know it's sports and that sort of stuff. We have someone texting us here who wants to know how do you initiate those conversations that go beyond the surface level when you're in a family that really just wants to stay at the surface level. How, how do you get that started? Well, I think a a couple ways. One, I think that um, to start asking, well, you guys are incredible interviewers, so I think to start asking curious questions. Um, What was it like when you were growing up? Um, How did you guys meet? Um, What was the most difficult thing in the first years of your marriage, if you're talking to parents? Um, uh, What do you guys think about, um, I mean, pick different issues, but make it personal so that you're, you're showing that there's a genuine curiosity about the person um, as well as then, I think at some point it's, it's appropriate to say, I would like us to talk about more important things that are between us. I'd like to find out about your feelings, about how you deal with stress, um, what brings you joy, what brings you happiness, how do you find peace? You know, those are all questions that lead a person to start thinking, and it, they're safe questions, which is why I think they have those trivia games and stuff because it's kind of a, the game is forcing everybody to start to talk about something they wouldn't normally. Yeah, that's it's good. I know those games, they can get uncomfortable because you can, I don't want to talk about this yeah. stuff right now. And yeah. yet they, they lead you to it. Uh, Brian, earlier we talked about uh, 
uh, sort of what has happened in the wake of the podcast, you know, mm -hmm. with your family. Mm -hmm. What I'm interested in is you've had people comment online and, and write you from all over the place. Uh, give us just a thumbnail sketch, if you can, in all humility. I mean, this is all the Lord that's working here. Uh, have you heard any stories from people who've been impacted by the podcast, who maybe been changed, or maybe you're doing things a little differently? Well, what's the reception been? I would answer that in two ways. One of them is I thought our family was healthy coming into this, and I thought our situation was unique. I thought everybody else was doing fine. There were some of those really dysfunctional families that you know, are on a dateline, but, but not in real life. Right. And what I, every person who's come up to me who's known about the podcast has shared with me their family's brokenness without exception. And they were expressing some measure of relief to find out they weren't alone. I had a lady in Walmart in Middlefield, Ohio, walk up to me, are you Brian? And I was like, uh, yeah, you know. Maybe. That depends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> and I thought it was about the morning show I host, and it wasn't. She goes, no, I heard the grandfather effect. And then she told me a story about how her husband was estranged from his parents for years, and they don't know what happened. Uh, so I think there's a un universality of of familial brokenness that I was naive about. And that I think, I, if anything, I hope people at least open their eyes to it and work on what it means to be healthy. And when I was listening to this, I'm not gonna make this about me or anything, but I, I think it, the reason why it connected with me is because my situation is my mother's parents did not talk to her for 20 years. Yeah. And then one day, my mom sends them an invitation to Thanksgiving, they show up, and act like nothing happened. Yeah. And I'm, I was in college and I'm sitting around and I'm going, am I the only one who thinks this is really weird? And they just, from that point forward, they just kept going to events and hanging out and I, like 20 years just disappeared. And so I think there's a lot of people like me who are listening to the podcast, hearing it all roll out and going, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. My family, are we weird? Okay, maybe. But we're not the only weird ones here. This stuff does really go on. And it was comforting for me, and I'm sure it was comforting for a lot of other people. Thank you. And I'm guessing there's more people like that woman you saw in the store who go, oh, now I have permission. And let me ask you about that, Nancy. Now I have permission to be transparent about this because I know I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the reasons that we need to be talking about this stuff, not only for ourselves, but to give other people that sense of permission to be able to talk about what's going on in, in their lives, in their families, in their background? Oh, exactly. And I think in a good way, we need to normalize it. That there isn't this ideal Christian family out there that everyone is really close and in praying for each other every day. And we could go on and on with, with um, cultural things, but that most families struggle. And they're trying to find their way with how do we connect with each other? How do we all live our lives with Christ, but yet come together in a way that's healthy and meaningful? I think it's really important to know that we're not alone in that. We're not in this journey. It, it, there's dysfunction in different levels all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, well, as we get ready to wrap up here, uh, Brian, I, I want to give you an opportunity just to sort of offer some parting words here. This, as you and I have talked uh, apart from podcasts, it has been something that was a journey you didn't expect, been a, a, an impact that you certainly did not expect as, as people far and wide have been impacted by this. Uh, just some parting words, man, on, on what God has done already through you trying to explore some of your family issues. Yeah, I, my prayer is that 
all those who would have a chance to hear the series would have it be an opportunity for serious self-examination and to re-encounter their own brokenness at the cross. Mm. That they could truly find more with Christ uh, acknowledging their brokenness. I think we, we pretend as Christians that we're doing okay. And you were just mentioning, talking about that with Nancy here. And I, it's just not true. And I wish we'd stop pretending because all of us could find out what it truly is like to be loved by Christ if we would stop faking it that we have it all together because we don't, we're broken. We still need Christ now as much as we did the day we were saved. And we're going to need him tomorrow. And the, the other piece is you, you probably need counseling, whoever you are. You probably need it. Why are you looking at me like that? Well, I've been trying. I've been looking for a chance to tell you that, Cisco, and here we are in a recording of a podcast. But no, it's really true. I mean, I think it'd be a healthy exercise for anyone to go through it. It's transformed my marriage for my wife and I. It's transformed my life and my relationship with Jesus. Uh, and uh, I think Christians need to warmly embrace it and make it a routine thing that we do. One question before we go. Uh-oh. When's the second series coming out? Because you know there's more to unearth. I mean, there has to be. Right? <laughs> right. I don't know if my parents are up for that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I hope there's another season in us. Yeah. I, I think there may be, uh, but I know that Moody Podcasting is working on a bunch of wonderful projects, and our prayer is that this one is one that launches as a springboard for what the Lord is going to do through Moody Radio and Moody Podcasting to really transform people's lives for Christ in that medium. I want to say a huge thank you to you, Brian, for not only going on this journey, but being willing to take us on this journey, uh, not knowing how it would be received, not knowing what sort of an impact it would have, the courage that it took to do that. Uh, I see God using it and just really blessing this effort. And so I'm so grateful for you being willing to do this. Nancy, I'm grateful to you for listening to hours and hours of interviews <laughs> and being willing to come on the podcast to talk about it. Uh, and so grateful for uh, both of you joining us here today. Uh, Brian Dolan and Nancy Kane, can we get a hand for them? And I want to say a huge thank you to this wonderful audience here, Tory Gray Auditorium on the campus of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Thank you all for participating. If you haven't yet, take a moment, listen to The Grandfather Effect wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a fantastic journey. Thank you so much for being here for The Grandfather Effect Live. <laughs>